again and welcome to our Governing Health Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Peregrine. We're pleased to have you with us. One of the most frequent questions I have been receiving from clients this year relates to whether, and if so, how ESG principles affect the not-for-profit healthcare sector. Indeed, there have been plenty of examples over the last year that demonstrate the incorporation of ESG into not-for-profit healthcare. We see it, for example, in the federal bureaucracy with the Department of Climate Change and Health Equity, the HHS Office of Environmental Justice, and CMS's new health equity policy. We see it through the Joint Commission's new and revised requirements to reduce healthcare disparities. We see it through state attorney general initiatives, such as the California Attorney General's evaluation whether commercial healthcare algorithms have discriminatory impacts based on multiple diversity factors. But when I answer this question, I point first to the efforts of Moody's Investor Service to formally quantify ESG ratings into the credit analysis process for healthcare institutions. The expectation is that Moody's new ESG scoring system will assist in transparently conveying ESG factors that are already incorporated in credit ratings and discussed in Moody's credit opinions. It's important that the entire organizational leadership team not just the CFO and others in finance, but also senior executives in the board, understand the scope and credit implications of Moody's important new approach. And to help us reach that understanding, we're joined today by two of the Moody's executives who are leading the ESG scoring system, Dan Steinkart and Eva Bogarty. Dan is the vice president and senior credit officer with Moody's Public Finance Group, and Eva is an associate managing director in the not-for-profit healthcare group at Moody's. Now, for most of you, Moody's is something of a household name in the industry. Moody's rate about 300 health systems across the country, ranging from small single-site hospitals to large multi-state systems with over $30 billion of revenue. The institutions it rates includes community hospitals, internationally renowned academic medical centers, children's hospitals, integrated delivery networks that combine health insurance and hospital physician networks, and specialty organizations focused on cancer or rehab. Eva and Dan, welcome to the program. Eva, let's start with you, and maybe you can help our audience understand this a little better. Uh, Could you provide an overview of Moody's ESG scores, kind of a general overview of how you all apply and assign the scores, and especially what the, the jargon and nomenclature means? Sure, and thank you for having us, Michael. And just one minor point of clarification to begin with, it's although our scores are new and we are articulating them for the first time, this is really a formalization of many, many years of efforts around ESG and really started with the introduction of our ESG methodology. But I just want to underscore that we have been having conversations with hospital and healthcare system teams since we've been rating hospitals and healthcare teams about environmental, social, and governance issues. So just wanted to underscore that right off the bat. So again, the scoring is a formalization of our efforts. We rolled out an ESG methodology back in 2021, and we've been rolling out for a couple of years various tools, including heat maps and integrating ESG risks and conversations into our credit opinions for a couple of years now. And this transparency that we're going out within these scores is is an effort to respond to market feedback, given the strong and growing demand from investment community and just the market in general around ESG matters. So I think that's an important backdrop here. Then to your point about the nomenclature and jargon. What are the buzzwords here? 
<laughs> yeah, very important. So we do have a bunch of scores. And so let me break those down for you. We have at the top is kind of the credit impact score, which measures the overall impact of the other ESG scores on the rating. So that's sort of the link between ESG scores and the credit rating. How much is it a positive impact, neutral impact, negative impact over time? So the credit impact score, which we call the CIS, it's not only about the risks of the ESG, it also considers mitigants. And we try to recognize other strengths of systems that can serve as mitigants to the exposure of ESG, such as liquidity and financial strength, et cetera. And for healthcare, most issuers in our sector received a CIS score of three, which means that ESG factors have a moderately negative impact. That means that ESG factors aren't resulting in a lower rating today, but that there are risks out there to the downside. So um, let's stop right there, because I think you're making the point that I've been trying to make with clients, and that is there's there's a business case here. There's a financial impact that this is something that they need to be paying attention to. If you're issuing a score of three, what is the message that Moody's is trying to send to its to the healthcare industry there with a score of that? I think that that is that it's primarily driven by social risk. So that's healthcare is highly regulated and people demographic driven industry. And so that those risks present potential credit pressure moving down the line. And those risks really constrain hospitals' abilities to control some of their revenue and their destiny. So we put a circle around that one. One other question, uh, even before we leave this discussion, for years, we've worked with your colleagues in focusing on the governance implications of Moody's regular rating process. And I've always felt that that has helped make the business case for effective governance. How does the do the ESG scores on the G aspect of it relate or tie into what you do from the general credit rating process for healthcare? Same factors, same issues, or is it different? I guess I would say that on the E, S, and G, so we have, I'll back up just a bit again, we have E, S, and G issuer profile scores and the subset of scores underneath those. And all of those are articulations of considerations we're already taking into account in the regular rating process. So I know, Dan, maybe you want to speak to a little bit about governance and the governance scores now. Sure. And, you know, actually, before I speak specifically on governance, I just want to emphasize a point that Eva just made, because we've been, as we've been rolling these scores out, I've had the opportunity and pleasure to speak to a number of systems explaining the factors that we consider and and how this interplays with our regular bond rating process and surveillance of ratings. And what's clear is that the factors that we are looking at under ESG come straight out of the methodology. None of the topics that we're discussing are new in and of themselves. So for example, on the on the question or the topic of governance, clearly the governance of an organization, the effectiveness of management, their ability to articulate plans and strategy within the organization, externally to other stakeholders as is necessary. These are, you know, things that are fundamental to the success of an organization. And what you'll see if you look through our ratings and over time, there have been certainly examples of either mismanagement that has resulted in either lower ratings at the outset or rating downgrades over time. 
there have been examples of organizations that are not completely independent. Their governance is influenced by maybe a sponsoring government or a related or sponsoring university that, in our view, have you know, maybe caused them to take actions or you know, pursue certain strategies or financial policies that a, another organization might not have. And these are all factors that have influenced the ratings. Now, if you kind of take a step back and think about governance in the not-for-profit healthcare sector as compared to all of the different industries and sectors that Moody's rates globally, because uh, keep in mind, we're applying, we're, we're rolling out these ESG scores for all of our rated issuers. So that's everyone, you know, from sovereign countries across the world to car manufacturers, coal miners, accounting firms, whomever, whoever has a rating, they're, they're receiving ESG scores. You're not and picking when, healthcare just particularly. Right. Not, not just healthcare particularly, but within healthcare, we're looking at insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, medical device manufacturers, et cetera. And when you think about not-for-profit healthcare within that broader rubric, governance is pretty good in this sector. That's our starting point. By and large, governance is good. The, you know, the, the boards are there to advance the mission of the health system, which generally speaking is to promote healthy outcomes for the populations that they serve. And it's different than a, a for-profit company that might have to balance the interests of shareholders equity investors and bondholders that might have a governance structure that favors one particular class of investors over another, that just doesn't exist in the not-for-profit healthcare world. Within the for-profit healthcare world, there might be those considerations. But within the not-for-profit healthcare world, because the boards are, generally speaking, focused on, a, on advancing a public good, health, and maybe, in the, maybe research and other activities related to that, Governance, by and large, has been good. So, in general, our scores for governance are either neutral. We don't see any positive or negative impact to, to a material degree or positive in some, in some factors. And when I say neutral and say we don't see any positive or negative, I'm kind of baking in already the good governance that we have within the sector. So, you know, a management team can be very capable and good at advancing their strategies and communicating with stakeholders, et cetera, and still receive a score of neutral. And that's not a, that shouldn't be interpreted as um, like a ding compared to, you know, why, you know, everybody wants to be the best of the best. Um, we have a lot of good teams out there. And by and large, we, we view governance as having a neutral impact overall. But Dan, let me make sure I understand. You're not measuring social impact or social good and the extent that hospitals achieve that. You're really measuring risk, aren't you? That's true. We are measuring risk. And that is a very important distinction to make because there's a lot of commentators out there on ESG. There's a lot of different views that exist. And one route that folks can take is to measure the social impact of an organization. And one could depending on your own value set and where you, you know, your vantage point in society, you could say one organization is advancing social good to a greater degree than another. We are not measuring that. We're not commenting on that. What we're looking at are factors that fall under the rubric, and it's, it's really social issues is where the risk is for, for the vast majority of organizations. So we're looking at factors under what we term social risks, and we're, we're evaluating an individual issuer's exposure to those risks, and we're assigning a risk score based on that. So one could both have 
a lot of exposure to a particular social risk and in a way that an issuer tells their own story to their board, to their stakeholders, talk about all the social good that they are advancing in their community. But our scores don't address the social good specifically. We're looking more at the, at the risk exposure. Now, the social good comes into play to the, in the way that they position themselves vis-a-vis their stakeholders, maybe some of the strategic actions that they take, but it's not that we're measuring you know, hospital A's charity care policies against hospital abuse. Well, Dan, hold on to that thought. We'll come back to you. Eva, I want to ask you a question, though, that picks up on, from my perspective, one of the most significant ways in which the federal government is getting involved in ESG-related issues in the healthcare sector is through climate change and other environmental issues and their impact on health disparities. What are the sub-factors that you consider in your scoring for environmental issues? Sure. So we have five sub-factors under each ESNG. So for environmental, we have carbon transition, physical climate risk, water management, waste and pollution, and natural capital. Across those, the majority of hospitals received an EIPS, issuer profile score of two, which is neutral. The real area of differentiation is in physical climate risk, and that is, you know, the location that and its exposure to environmental risks such as flooding, hurricane, tornado, et cetera, whether that can damage facilities or interrupt any ability to provide service. And so here we're looking at kind of geographic diversity, number of facilities, you know, where you might be able to divert patients that can also minimize exposure, ability of staff, et cetera, to get to the actual hospitals during one of those crises. But again, the the large majority here scored two. It was really in extreme areas of focus and where there was really only a standalone one facility exposed. Ava, do you think that some of these sub-factors on the environmental side overlap with uh, what some hospitals and health systems are looking at as an enterprise risk from the environmental sector, is, are they likely to be similar? I think so. Absolutely. A lot of our conversation talks about mitigations and seawalls built, et cetera, with hospitals to address these risks. And Dan, let's go back now to the social concept. What are the sub-factors that, that you all look at uh, that drive the social IPS uh, scoring? And are there, what are the particular factors? Because, uh, again, the government is also looking broadly at healthcare disparities and, and other social issues. And I think many healthcare systems are trying to make a commitment to this. But what are you looking at in terms of scoring as the social sub-factors? So we have, again, there's five sub-factors here. And I want to emphasize that we see... Most of the risk within, you know, from an ESG standpoint for hospitals falls under uh, social categories. So the five broad categories are customer relations, human capital, demographic and societal trends, health and safety, and responsible production. And as we go through the different sub-factors, different components of the sub-factors, I think it's also worthwhile pointing out that there's a lot of overlap between the two. So certain issues don't fit cleanly into one sub-factor. And the way that we think about the risk exposure is also holistic from we think about the industry's overall exposure to some of these issues and then a particular hospital's positioning within, within that exposure. So, for example, demographic and societal trends. This is one of the, the largest exposures in our opinion. And here we capture, for example, 
the impact of government regulation at both the federal and the state level, the impact of government payers, their ability to not only set set payment rates as as they see fit, but also to drive macro-level policies. So, for example, at the federal level, Medicare for for quite a while now has been pushing towards value-type payment arrangements. And hospitals, as as you well know, have been entering into various pay-for-performance type of contracts with Medicare, whether it be uh, through ACOs or through through demonstration programs around bundled payments. Medicare, of course, has been pushing value-based payments now for a few years where they Medicare payments can potentially be withheld if certain quality and performance metrics are are not uh, achieved above a certain baseline. And from our perspective, if you kind of take a take a step back and you think about the broader healthcare debate within the within the country, there is a lot of concern over the general cost of healthcare. Um, and that, that's not just hospitals; that's pharmaceuticals, that's medical device manufacturers, that's insurance companies. But certainly, the topic of affordability. And access to health care and health insurance is, is a major topic. It comes up regularly in presidential elections and in midterm elections, and it creates an environment where there is more scrutiny on these issues. And in our view, that type of scrutiny, when it translates into regulations and payment terms that impact hospitals, we see more risk to the downside, broadly speaking, for the industry than we do see upside. So for that reason, the vast majority, um, in fact, I think all of the, the, the health systems that we scored under this sub-factor received a score of either moderately negative or highly negative, meaning that government policies it has the potential to significantly influence financial outcomes for, for health systems, and it's not a sort of theoretical off-in-the-distance issue. It's here today, here, here and present today. Before we leave this interesting discussion of the factors that you considered, before we wrap up, I just want to come back in terms of uh, we've got lots of board members and chief governance officers who listen to this uh, to the podcast. Uh, what are the extremes in terms of from governance scoring that you see? What are the what are the areas where you frequently give the highest amount of uh, the highest level scores, and what are the factors in governance that you frequently grade the lowest? I mean, if you were looking at your heat map, uh, what 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 practices? generate the highest and what generate tend to generate the lowest scores? Uh, highest governance scores were given to institutions that have over a multi-year period demonstrated the ability to identify strategic initiatives and targets and drive the entire organization towards meeting those and exceeding them. And I'm not just talking about things like setting a, a budget, you know, an operating budget and consistently coming within, you know, 100 basis points of your operating budget target. And certainly that's, that's good and we like to, and we like to see that uh, with the caveat that, uh, you know, presumably the budgets are, are reasonable. But it's the ability to, at some level, sort of determine your own destiny to, you know, marshal the resources of, of the organization to maybe move into new markets, or pivot how the organization is thinking about broader issues like fee-for-service and moving into more pay-for-value, thinking about how the organization pivots from one sort of strategic direction that they're on now to, an, to another one while maintaining very strong financial outcomes, while maintaining very good relationships with stakeholders. 
the, the organizations that we see as having really exceptional governance have been delivering on these types of issues and have a, a sort of discernible rigor around the process and, and delivering results that is not just, you know, in the most recent history, but it's really something that's embedded in the culture and you can see play out over, over multiple years. On the negative side for governance, I think what, what you see most are issues of, of the board not all rowing in the same direction. And I think you see it most when, when the organization is not its own private 501c3, but has governance influence from other organizations that effectively require it to sort of meet the needs and demands of another organization while also trying to you know, direct its own needs. And you end up sometimes with some projects that maybe shouldn't have been pursued or financial policies that another organization wouldn't have undertaken. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, uh, Eva, I want to turn back to you. Um, my mind today is really focused on numbers and scoring. I have to turn in my football bets for the weekend uh, later on this afternoon. So I'm all about what's the what is the bet? What are the scores today? Can you give us a sense of your preliminary scoring? Uh, are there any uh, key trends or themes that that you think would be relevant or of interest to the folks listening today? Absolutely. I'll give you an overview. I think many of them have been picked up in our conversation, but I'll just kind of summarize here. Overall, for our credit impact scores, we are largely at CIS3, and that is the moderately negative. So we discussed that in the beginning. We view over time that ESG factors could degrade ratings in this sector. There are just a couple in the CIS2, which is neutral. And I'll break down by environmental, social, and governance scores. Environmental, largely environmental two, meaning neutral. We did discuss that some there are some in the environmental three or even in the environmental four categories. And those uh, that is based on kind of diversity of and geographic diversity and diversity of systems and ability to divert to other locations in an environmental crisis. For social, I think Dan highlighted, we have the large portion or split between a social three and a social four. So moderately negative and highly negative around the themes that Dan discussed around demographic and societal trends. And then for governance, again, a two for, for most other than the some of the board structures, structures and kind of outlier credits that we see in three. Well, this has been an absolutely fantastic discussion. Uh, Dan and Eva, thank you both so very much for joining us today. And I think giving our audience a really fascinating and particularly detailed discussion of Moody's important new ESG scoring initiative. And from my perspective, you guys tell me if I'm wrong, this is important from what you have said, not only from the finance team, not only at the CFO level and his or her team, but and not just at the finance committee of the board, 
It seems to me that this is important for the entire board to understand, especially when ESG is in the media every day, that this stuff matters to the institution that they serve as a fiduciary. And I think you've given us a tremendous view on this. And again, for our listeners, there will be some materials as and you look at and the cover sheet with this uh, podcast that Dan and Eva prepared that will give you additional detail on this. So Dan, Eva, thanks a million for joining us today. Thank you. What an interesting and timely conversation. Dan Steingart and Eva Bogaty have helped underscore for us an important example of why there is a significant business case to be made for health industry board oversight of ESG. Dan and Eva have given us a very useful overview of the process Moody supplies in its efforts to quantify ESG ratings into the credit analysis process for healthcare institutions. It's important information of which the board and especially its finance committee should be aware. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of Governing Health. Be sure to subscribe to the full complimentary podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And there you'll be able to stay up to date with all our future episodes and to listen to the old ones. Until then, I'm your host, Michael Peregrine, saying thanks for listening. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2022, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.